Welcome back to the Raw Take for CEOs. This is where we tackle today's issues and how they impact your business. And this is hosted by me, Dan. And Steven. We'll give you our Raw Take on what's important for you and your business. Let's get started. Wednesday, April 28th, coming to the end of April. April here on the uh, Raw Take for CFOs has been all about startups. Yep. We talked a little bit about uh, the foundation of a business. We talked about management teams and founders coming together, cap tables, corporate governance. Stuff. Yeah, I liked how we kind of say structured it um, because they're kind of the two around those two kind of key, a lot of key milestones within any, any startup, right? Uh, a lot of execution, a lot of execution risks, a lot of milestones. But we focused on really that kind of getting started. And then and that's all your founding documents, business partners, agreements, who's, who's there at the beginning, right? How do you structure things? Uh, and then, uh, you know, fast forward, whether it's six months, three years, to that place where you found that product market fit and you're scaling up. And we focus kind of the other part of the conversation around that. Yeah, no, uh, today's conversation kind of hit, hits home a little bit. This whole notion of customer success, internal customer advocacy. It's something that, you know, five, six years ago, I was probably a little skeptical when I would see titles like growth hacker, customer success, customer advocacy. But as you hit that inflection point, you come to the realization, one, you can't do it all, you know, and two, in order to really stay focused, you got to stay focused on your, your piece of the business and you have those bookmarks, right? And customers tend to get lost, right? Once you bring them on, you reel them in, all that hard work, identifying leads, finding the leads, nurturing the leads, you know, hooking them in, and then what? Then they go into this black hole sometimes. I think from our experience, it turned in, it felt like it turned into a black hole. But at the beginning, whether it's your first customer or your first hundred customers, depending on what kind of business you are, you know, it's you, everybody's wearing five hats, right? Uh, so the founder, the CEO, the, you know, the COO, the C, you know, everybody is making sure that customers succeed, right? Those first customers, like you have, you have, you have tons to lose, right? But then when it comes to that incremental customer where it's more like, Mm, who's going to deal with that situation. personality or the situation? That's when, you know, you need more dedicated resources, right? When the founders, when the founding team is stretched and they do need to focus, right? You can't put, you, there's not enough time to wear all those hats. Yeah. What, what I've come to appreciate is the customer success team. They actually pay for themselves. They pay themselves in terms of ensuring, uh, cust achieving customer enchantment, in other words, customer retention, uh, customers have a place to go when there's an issue, um, especially in a multifaceted or multi-department mm -hmm. type of business. And they also pay for themselves because of upselling, mm -hmm. right? Uh, customers sometimes, they just don't know what they don't know, right? And they may need X, Y, and Z one day, and they probably need to upgrade that, and but they don't know who to turn to. And the either and if they don't need to know to turn to, they're probably going to go outside and find and somebody else who's it. ready to sell and wear those hats. And, and then you're going to lose them completely as a customer. Right? And I will also add that this doesn't just apply to high tech, venture backs, startups. This applies to manufacturers, installers. You know, the job of the sales department is truly revenue focused, right? It's to acquire new customers. Uh, or more projects for, from one customer. 
But then what ends up happening, and I've seen this in my 20 years of experience, because this is coming from a former sales guy, salespeople tend to be overly protective of their customers. So the salesperson, instead of being out there selling, they're ultimately out there or in there, ushering the customer through the production line, whether you're selling widgets, you know, yeah, the person, the, you know that it's a lot more cost-effective time, money, to keep a customer than to get a new customer. So the salesperson is making sure that the production team is delivering. That is customer success. That's not sales, right? That's making sure that the customer stays happy. Uh, if you were just doing sales, you just bring in the revenue and hand it off, hand it off. Right, but if you know 50% of your uh, compensation is in the form of commissions, and commissions are only received, say, after you've collected your accounts receivable, yeah. you know, that salesperson is going to be wearing way too many hats and not focused on what they need to be focused, which is customer acquisition. So I love customer success. Uh, we've gotten excited about this um, internally. We have even set up a, a stage to uh, build a customer success team. And yeah, and we're going to kind of get into some of our story about how we how we did this. Um, but I, I want to bring Jeff into the conversation. Jeff Kushmerik is joining us today, uh, and he has his own consulting practice, really focused on helping startups set up customer success departments. Um, so I want him to hear our story so he can react as well as our our, uh, our listeners. But I think the other thing, Dan, that you know we've talked about as we went through this process is you know you get to that stage where you you have found the product market fit. And you are scaling up. You, you know, you got you got the deal flow coming in that you know you can't service it with the with the founders being the customer success team. The other thing that they, we realize is your that that customer we see this at our customers all the time. They're paying more money because you know founders are paid in like to care less <laughs> to stay focused. <laughs> and you're paying you're paying people new people more money than you you would have your founders uh, to do less because they're not as invested in the business. They're, they're, they're focused on less things than the, the founders are. Uh, and that's sometimes that, that in and of itself is a mental, emotional hurdle for founders to, to, come, to overcome, right? Yeah, and today there was an article, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal uh, yeah. about Robinhood, right? And the deterioration of their customer success or maybe they refer to as customer service. So we're not talking um, in the first six, 12 months of a journey. This goes beyond, and, and I actually believe that there are, there are true operating companies out there, 10, 20 years old, that could actually think, rethink how the customer interacts within their organization through the lens of customer success. So right. without further ado, we should bring Jeff on. Hey, Jeff. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for joining today. We were just uh, walking the audience through a little bit of starting to tell our journey, but wanted to wanted to bring you into the conversation so you can hear it and react to it and uh, um, uh, jo just join the conversation with our with our listeners. Yeah. So, Jeff, you're hyper focused on customer success, and one of my opening comments to Stephen was, you know, coming out of corporate seven eight years ago when I heard, you know, especially in the uh, startup world titles like customer success manager or chief customer advocate or growth hacker, I would scratch my head and be like, really, like, what the hell is this, right? It's just account management, right? You're just an account <laughs> manager. You're just managing a portfolio or, or you're just as another salesperson. Yeah. That's not really the case. And we're, we're, we're actually finding that out and experiencing that personally here. 
So with that said, you know, Jeff, tell us a little bit about your journey. You've yeah. experienced different types of companies. So yeah, we'd love to hear how you landed. You started off as a developer um, in the mid to late, you know, well, let's just say I was focused on the Y2K problem so that we can date ourselves there. <laughs> um, and uh, I had a, a leader who basically was like, oh, wait, you can actually talk to people. Um, so let's get you out there and sort of the pre-sales thing and start talking with customers and everything like that. And then I was lucky enough to just be um, part of a couple of companies that had explosive growth. Um, one of those companies was called Indeco. We sold to uh, Oracle uh, for around a billion dollars in I think 2012. Uh, and then I went to a company called Brightcove, which is an online video platform um, and ran their professional services team through the IPO. And then from there, uh, did some startup stuff for a little bit and then uh, uh, more the sort of overseer of all things for startups and kind of got back into it and running services teams and then seeing the shift towards SaaS and having specific onboarding and implementation teams. So I was doing that for a company called Virgin Pulse, one of Richard Branson's Virgins. And then from there, I've you know been helping out companies uh, really hyper-focused on getting this area solidified for them, which I consider from the pre-sales through a successful launch of the product where they're using your software and then uh, transitioning to sort of whatever group they need to be in at that point, because everybody's a little bit different. Right. And traditionally, this customer success function was you know truly viewed more as like the onboarding role, um, the the uh, scheduling and planning role, right? When you take a, a customer from, from the sales team, yep. uh, get that engagement agreement, contract signed, scoped out the service, and then ultimately schedule it and put it on the, on the uh, docket to be, um, to be uh, delivered yep. or installed. But th the whole customer success function is, it's actually really different than that, right? Well, yeah, it's, I think, you know, preparing for today and going back and looking through history, I think the evolution of SaaS really um, made this become the thing that needs to be its own focus point, right? Because uh, as you described previously happened, you would sell something and then you would have to kind of plan an installation. You would be putting your software on other people's servers and you're treating things with like project management and developers and going and doing that. And now, um, uh, you know, in the joke back then was that you didn't really need to focus on account management as much. Uh, the <laughs> I just laugh because we would always say that every three years, the account manager would drive up in his BMW with a three-year renewal contract and go out to lunch and get it signed, right? Yep. But then SaaS made it a lot harder um, to stay sticky or a lot easier to rip and replace. And so... Mm -hmm a lot of people were selling a lot, but then they realized they were getting a lot of churn because it's like, let's try this, let's try this. So um, that's where this um, customer success, I think function really started um, taking fire and now it's it's everywhere. So. Yeah, and I think that that SaaS piece is, is, uh, is helpful to think about. Not only is it easier to move for customers, but also there's no, there's not that feedback loop necessarily, right? If you're inboarding customers and they refuse to pay, there's your feedback loop. Um, but if you're if you're SaaS SaaS business and they're you know you're charging them up front at the first of the month uh, every month they can't really stop that unless they leave and they're not going to leave unless they have a replacement so they're going to find a replacement before they come back to you and say I'm not I'm unhappy right so you have to have that extra like touch of making sure that somebody's responsible for knowing what the pulse of the customer is yeah 
And I, so I think the big difference now between account management and customer success is that the CSM is really responsible for making sure that they understand your customer's business goals and then how to map it back to what your software or service delivers and be the expert on how that happens, right? So they can hear the customer, you know, hey, we want to be able to do X, we want to be able to do Y and be able to know all the things that your product does or know who to go talk to to be able to do that. So you can map those things together. So it's a lot more on delivering business outcomes uh, and making sure that that payment issue never happens because they're all super happy and, and they realize like, we need this. Like you always want to be the software where people are like, hey, that bill, right? <laughs> like, right. Maybe not these ones, but we have to pay this bill. Right? And you don't want to be the one that's out of sight, out of mind, because then you don't get that feedback loop. Right. You don't get the interaction, right? And you don't want to be that healthcare monthly membership, right? And, yeah, you, you're never going to get that feedback from from your customers. And it also doesn't give you the opportunity because one of the nice things about customer success, I find it, it allows you to be vulnerable as a company, right? Because it really does suck to get some feedback from customers, let's face it. But without that feedback, so I want to kind of bring it to our experience for just a second, because I know, I know the customer success role is very applicable in the SaaS world, right? Uh, this notion of like, um, out of sight, out of mind type of billing, it's going to catch up with you and then it's going to show up when you churn. Mm -hmm. In a service-based business, because you're, because the customer is always touching people, you don't really think about the need for account managers. You don't think about the need for customer success, but there truly is, especially if you're a multifaceted, multi-departmental, multi-service you know, multi uh, providing, uh, service provider, um, because you can, you can, even though it's a people business, a customer can still get lost in this web of people. Yep. We can bring back, bring back to us, like, right, Jeff, and you can like react to us as a, as a, as a case study too. Um, but it, it, I think it is emblematic of the journey that customers, that we see customers going through, right? Because we were at one point in time, let's say a one, 1 1.5 service like division company, right? We've got, we had bookkeeping, we called controllership bookkeeping. We had more of advisory, but really kind of just like Dan, Dan and I as consultants, right? Yeah. Um, so really most of the customers were accounting customers and they knew who their accounting team was. That was a, almost a single point of contact, right? You add on FP&A services, you add on tax advisory services. We now have like four main pillars, right? And so the customers are like, if I subscribe to all four pillars, who do I talk to? Who's my who's my quarterback? And each pillar has a PL manager, right, with their own staff underneath. Um, and then it's you and I who probably we didn't even generate the leads. Our marketing team generates the leads or come through referrals. And, and then, but we are one of that last touch points before the customer actually, you know, gives the old Jan, uh, John Hancock, right? And then all of a sudden, customers would say, Growth Lab, it's like dealing with the black hole. We don't know where to go to. And when I'm scratching my head, I was like, what do you mean? We just got off the phone two, two weeks ago. How, how is this a black hole? But it is because. Well, you know, on that point and listening to what you're talking, um, you know, that I see that a lot with services companies as well. And also, you know, my customers who are SaaS, they feel like, oh, we're doing the onboarding. So we shouldn't have a QBR. We, we're doing this. So we, we talk to them every week. But that's also on a tactical level. Like, here's an issue. We're going to go fix this. We're going to, you know, just tactical, tactical, tactical. Um, even if you're deploying or you're working on on certain issues. So the the big part of the CSM role is to just you know come in from over the top, mm -hmm. um, maybe grab you know your you know so that I have the CSM like grab your boss, have your peer grab their boss, 
and just hear it out. And exactly what you're saying, sometimes you want to hear the bad news. It's like, oh, I have this bump on my, my skin here, but I don't want to go to the doctor and see if it's anything I should worry about, right? Um, but that it's what happens. So I, I think that customers appreciate the fact that you're taking time out of the day to, to just think about things at a little bit of a higher level. And usually you see if, if things are going along, even if they're not going along great, um, you work on them, you resolve them, like nothing's perfect. So how do we get there? What will make this good for you? And having those types of conversations versus like, there's a bug or we didn't like this thing or we don't like that person and, you know, those tactical issues. So, yeah. I think the other thing, you know, one of the other things that we're kind of talking about, but just want to point out to like people that are on the ground trying to solve for this customer success thing is, um, you know, you, you mentioned like you, you got to come in the top level, right? Or another thing you said is you got to have that person that understands what the product is that they're, that the customer is buying. And so right. they can, they can, uh, connect the dots between the engineering team, the, the technicians and the customer. Um, and whether you call that account management, customer success, you need somebody who knows, knows the product, right? And so naturally that's going to be the founders, the, you know, the executive team up until a certain point. And then, and then who do you go to, right? You don't want to take one of those people that is best on sales or best on product and, and just, and bucket them in customer success, right? But you still have to, just like your boss did, Hey, Jeff, you, you actually can talk to customers. Like not only can you do the work, you can talk to customers. So I'm going to have you come in pre-sales and start connecting the dots so that I can have you there post-sales so that you can, you can be that, that uh, customer success person. And, and on the service side, right? So that was sort of the product side. On the service side, who knows, who knows the customer the best? Well, it's the salesperson. It's what's in the engagement agreement. But who's actually connecting the value proposition dots between what is actually going to be produced, aka delivered to the customer on a monthly basis. And what does the customer actually think they're getting and yeah. what are they paying for, right? Yeah, so for us, uh, you know, the person that we brought into that role was somebody that's been with us for six years, been through like a whole, every every variety of how we, how we do things, right? Um, and because he, he's going to be able to be dynamic uh, and understand what the various customers need, right? The accounting only customer is going to be different than the tax only customer. Right. And you have to have somebody that's nimble enough to do So it. we're passionate about this. So Jeff, okay. what are your two cents around uh, service-based businesses and customer success? Yeah. So on that note, on, on the salesperson, you know, they'll always try their best, but they're getting pressure to go off and find new business. Right? Hopefully. So, so they're not going to be calling up the, hey, how's things going? They'd like to. They're not like, screw that people or things like that. But they're also getting heard like, you know, they're on weekly sales pipeline calls and go do X, Y, and Z. And they've got to do that. And it's a hard job. I've done it. It's, it's a lot of work. So uh, if you look at the end of the day, like you got 10 things to do and two of them aren't new revenue facing and you have a new revenue job, these people aren't going to get talked to, right? So that's where you do find these people and bring them in. Um, and whether, you know, on your, you, know, you found somebody who knows things, if, it's, if, you know, they know your business and how things map up to, you know, I know for professional services groups that um, maybe build software and things like that, it's like that architect level person that, you know, and you need to find a way to get the knowledge from what they're doing, it might be a business analyst, things like that. But it's, it's that person who can map up those, like what they're hearing and how are we going to go deliver on that. And then from there, you need to be able to have those sort of quarterly, you know, it's a big thing in CSM is, you know, that QBR being able to say like, here's how we delivered this to you. Here's the value that we're delivering to you. Because if you're not reinforcing that message there, it's going to get forgotten. People are like, how much are we paying for this? Oh, but these guys are cheaper. Like, okay, let's move over there. Right. And, right. 
And Jeff, do you find, so one of the things that we've noticed um, as we've gone down this, this uh, functional journey um, is that it actually slows things down. Like from, from my historical sort of perspective, say four years ago where, you know, I would get an engagement agreement signed and run over to that team, run over to that team, you know, get it done, expedite, expedite. To me, it felt like a process, right? Now with the customer success role, it literally is taking like a week and then another week for onboarding. And I know at some point I'm scratching my head, like, is this going to come, uh, are we going to have to deal with this? Do you find that customer success sometimes slows things down for a startup? Um, that is the classic feedback that I always hear. Oh, good. All right, good. <laughs> and the problem is, is, and you said it, you already said what the problem is. You sign the deal and then give it to them and ask them to do that, right? Yeah. Um, whereas, um, you know, when I set up companies and, and make sure that they want their success teams and to avoid that problem, I make sure that somebody, and it's usually the CS leader or a director or something like that, is going in and they're part of the pipeline calls. And there's a stage gate saying like, hey, when we're at 70, 75%, we need to let these people know that they're gonna have a new customer come on board because CSMs are usually pretty booked and um, they, they and that a whole team, if you wanna get a whole launch system going and everything, it's gonna drop a little bit of a bomb on them in terms of their regular daily cadence. We can talk about that later because I usually, usually as you get bigger, you wind up separating the onboarding and implementation from the actual CSMs for some companies. Yeah, which we, we have done that, yeah. Yeah, so, so part of it is, you know, if you're able to bring them in at 75%, I believe it helps. You're like, hey, we're going to bring this non-commissioned subject matter expert in who can, they'll love, they're going to answer all these questions. They probably have domain expertise in your customer's thing. And they're, and they're just going to answer a lot of questions and everything. And then they know they're going to be able to tell their team, like I met with them. They're going to, this is the best CSM that's for that. Get ready. In two weeks, they're going to need a kickoff. The deal's going out for closure. You also might find out um, the other little things that may need to happen that you wind up losing money on. In a classic SaaS thing, it's like, oh, we're going to sign them up. Good. Um, you know, maybe they're charging an implementation fee, which I think is a must, but we don't have to go down that road here. But, uh, but you know, suddenly you get into the implementation and they're like, oh, they thought they were getting like free data cleansing, free this, free that. And then suddenly like, it's not on the contract because nobody asked these questions. And then suddenly your right. customer acquisition costs start going up higher and higher. Spot on, spot on, because we see it here and we've seen it as vendors with other SaaS companies, we've seen that happen, right? Yeah, it's all about that. For us, the, the customer success journey started with like, hey, we need, the, we need that customer experience in the first three months because that determines whether they're going to be with us for six months or six years, right? We need that, that customer experience to be fantastic. You know, we talked about like timing stage of companies. What do you see typically like, obviously, you know, a, a customer that's waited too long for this is, is a great customer for you, right? You see, we see that with us for accounting, right? When they've got a lot of catch up, right? There's a big need, right? So they, they've got need, they've got urgency, but we just talked to a customer yesterday, like they, they built a great business. They don't have like super urgency, but they know that in order to grow in six months, they need to offload some stuff so they can focus, right? So kind of two different kind of customers. Like what do you see out there? What is the right time for a company to think about customer success? And, and what do you see like major kind of, what are the maybe three things you look for in a company to, to determine whether it's the appropriate time to do that? Yeah. Um, and just to preface this a little bit, I usually focus on um, 
SaaS B2B companies that are in the sort of zero to $20 million in revenue range. So 10 to 15 years ago, people would wait till it was a huge problem. I think mm -hmm. now with VC funded companies or private equity funded companies, there's a focus on this because churn and customer retention is such a number that people invest by now that when people are given funding, they're getting asked the questions about what are you going to do post sale? When I get brought in, I don't see the problem as much like that there's nothing anymore. What I see is what every company does and it's not the wrong thing, but they've given all the post-sale responsibilities to, to one role basically. So CSM will do onboarding, implementation, account renewals, customer support, tracking down tickets, all of that in all, all of those things. So, and the problem is, is that um, they get overloaded and you need to start going from generalist to specializing. Uh, but I, I, I am seeing that now um, that that's sort of where the big issue is. Uh, my classic joke is if you want renewals, um, then you should, you should be having this function. And if companies uh, have put this off and, and they're really just getting people up and running, then, uh, then not focusing on them, they'll start seeing the churn. And then that's when they, they start reaching out and be like, what should we do? Um, so that, I hope that answers the question for you. Yeah, I think one of the uh, telltale signs is when you smell expediting happening, right? Yeah. <clears throat> when you yeah. see the sales guy ushering a, uh, a, a purchase order through the manufacturer. I mean, this is not just SaaS or service, right? This, this goes deep into distri distribution, into yep. manufacturing. I've seen it. Uh, a guy who kind of had manufacturing background, you see sales guys or salespeople ushering those purchase orders through, making sure the plant manager has that purchase order on the, on the schedule, on the docket, and kind of goes to the line the day after to make sure it's running, and then goes to packaging and shipping to make sure it's being like, <laughs> you should be selling, buddy. Like, yeah. Yeah. Is, so, we have a business here, right? Sell, everybody should be doing their, that role. Like you had one job, right? Like go off there and sell. Um, one of the things I noticed is that some people, they don't have this function because they think, oh, it's just account management. But the, on that, and I think we covered that. But the other thing which I didn't bring up was that some people just think our stuff's awesome. It's great. You know, nobody needs help. It's awesome. Um, I will say you might not need this function if you've got a very coin operated business. Like, and take it back to SATS again, but you know, you can make the correlation for other industries. If you're literally just signing up, putting your credit card info, and then everything just happens after that. Home security monitoring, cell phone bills, right? Cable bills. Nobody's really watching your success. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> like, oh, should I stick with the Verizon? Nobody's reached me out to ask my feelings on my cell phone. <laughs> Yeah, they don't care. If anything, it's more like the stick than the carry, right? It's like, oh, but you signed an evergreen contract for, for the next 10 years of your life. And I'm like, what? Not the case. Exactly. We're doing that with my uh, elderly parents. <laughs> but let's, let's, uh, you know, let's kind of dive in a little bit more into, uh, you know, customer success, customer service, account management, like, uh, you know, Help you, us you, you, what that. you said, you, you find, you jump, you jump into customers and, or customer, new customers, and they, they define everything post-sales to one function, right? Right, right. Let's right. talk about, like, help, help our listeners, like, sure. think about their own businesses and pull apart different pieces of that. Yeah, and, and so the difference between customer service and customer success is I view service as, like, triage, bug resolution, 
where do I, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not able to submit my credit card or there's a bug here and things like that. So if you've got one person that's responsible for that, which can be an all day, every day type of a thing, um, then, you know, the classic black hole I see is it's a new piece of software, which means they're still figuring out issues and it might be a little bit buggy. And then, you, you know, they're trying to answer all those support questions. Um, product and dev might not be getting back to them fast enough and things like that. And then at the same time, they got it told they were told to onboard somebody tomorrow because they just signed the contract today and that's what was promised in order to get the deal. And then at the same time, there's trying to, you know, figure out how to get the the sort of account management aspect of stuff like how do I do a QBR, a quarterly business review for, for people who aren't familiar with that. That's very big in the SaaS uh, world. Uh, and that, those are like four or five jobs. And those can be, you know, and you're asking sort of one person do a lot of that. I do also find with a lot of these companies too, since they're coming from the ground up, they may have hired some, some go-getters um, and they're burning them out or they might not be at the skill level as you start getting into bigger and deeper enterprise level customers. You know, a lot of, I see lots of everybody's first customers are mom and pops, you know, a single business owner or things like that, you know, Jeff's leather company or something like that. And then the next thing you know, they're trying to sell into like Anheuser-Busch and you need some different skill sets into that and you need some specialization um, where you definitely, you need to break apart those roles because your larger customers will take um, and expect more of a strategic account manager type of role than sort of that catch-all, as I call it, Pangea, it becomes everything right. uh, type, of, type of person. So, yeah. You know, I, think, I think one thing there is, is especially for like startups, right? Um, you do find that go-getter, right? That salesperson that you say, hey, just keep going with this. Keep, you know, do the customer success side of it. And we're going to, you know, we're going to take care of you, right? Here's a commission structure because we're, we're huge believers in pay for performance, right? And, you know, the stuff we're talking about now, like the, you know, you're thinking like, well, I incentivize this guy to do this whole thing. And he's doing now, now I've got to segment his job. He still wants the same amount of money. He wants the same, same structure, but now I got to bring somebody else in to do a piece of his job, right? So I got to take money away from him whether you do it physically or not, you take value away from him, give it to somebody else and incentivize them to do that. And then you've got the issue of like, the, you, you got to, every function has to trust the other function, right? Yeah. The sales function has to trust that it's going to get shipped out on time, right? Or else if it doesn't, he's going to go and, and double check on that, right? Yeah. Uh, and then everybody has to be incentivized to do their piece of the puzzle. Right, right. And that's, you know, you, you assign these different KPIs to the different roles and things like that. But you know, again, as, as we were talking about it, if that salesperson's focused on fulfillment, he's not doing as much sales. And then if he's incentivized for sales, he might not do as much fulfillment because he's like, I did my job over here. Um, on the trusting node aspects of stuff, I personally, well, I've got some views, but I don't think it's wrong either way to have your account manager, CSM person be responsible for the renewal. Um, I think that goes into the, like, how is your company set up and things like that. Whereas in, it's, it's pretty 50-50 in the industry where some people say in order for us to have the best relationship to make sure we're completely honest and open, we're not going to talk money. When it comes to renewals, we're going to bring the sales guy back in. When it comes to you know, finding a new segment to you know, go deeper into and have those water cooler conversations and things like that for, for getting more seats and things like that. Um, we're going to bring in the account manager. That's a very nice, idealistic way of viewing it. As I've told some of my friends who take that approach, if times get tough, you're going to get cut right out because you're not adding to the bottom line. 
in a lot of people's eyes. Um, I, I do think that they're still adding a ton to the bottom line, but they just don't have that immediate revenue associated with them at that note. Jeff, I've got a question here. So we do a lot of um, pro forma, financial modeling, business modeling, and customer success, customer advocacy, uh, customer service, sales, right? That all builds into the headcount over that three to five year plan. When you're thinking about capacity build out in the customer success role, uh, one, and maybe this is repeating ourselves here, but one, what's that inflection point when you do need to isolate that customer success function? And two, how does that ramp up? And what is it like, how does it ramp up? And what is the sort of, uh, what's the numerator denominator that determines? I will say now people are isolating as they're getting ready to make their first sales, right? So a company, you know, starts off, gets money to build product, they're getting product, a little bit of product management, they're getting development, then they get some money for sales, and then they're a little bit doing everything. And then it, they're getting, they're starting that CSM function when they realize like, we're going to have some deals closed now. And they're, they're isolating from there. And they're basically factoring that into the cost of the license and trying to carve that out from there. Um, in terms of the scaling, um, it really, this one really depends on the type of customers that you have and the type of product and service that you have. Oh, I've seen some companies that have, uh, every CSM have 40 accounts and they can keep on top of all of them and that's fine. And I've seen some that break at 10 and it, it, it just all depends on, you know, the segments and the markets that they're going for. Yeah. Uh, but what I try and help customers with my customers, excuse me, with is that just because you're scaling like two X a year, doesn't mean you have to scale these people two X a year. Right. Um, what I say is basically like, let's go through and find some tasks that you can pull away from some of these people that can be done at a lower cost. The classic one of this is prod project management. Yep. Um, so you're going to have a customer that come in. You might have a 30 day, but you might have a 90 day. You, you, if you're selling to large enterprises, it might be a two year rollout. I did something with a large defense contract. It took me two years to roll it out. So that was a very big project plan. And before I rolled the system out, one of the things I was brought in to fix was that um, a CSM could, could not do their renewals and all that stuff because uh, they were just too busy onboarding massive customers, right? So, but then it was like, well, you're chasing people down, you're looking for files, you're sending out status reports, you're checking in around the organization. Take all of those sort of, I would say, lower types of activities away and, um, and you can bring in somebody for almost a third of the cost to be able to do that. And they can take on like six to 10 projects, 20 projects or, or whatever, um, because there are a lot of them are like, we do the same thing every time. You know, we do, it's, it's a little bit of a factory. Onboarding should be. Um, repeatable tasks, um, unless you're truly like building something from scratch from like, for, well, definitely it's thing in software, not as much as in services, but, um, but it should be not as you're, if you're, if you want to scale, every customer shouldn't be different. There should be like, Hey, we do these 50 things to get you on, on board. They might not happen all sequentially, but in 90 days, we're going to go through this checkbox and make sure they're all checked. So maybe another way to, to answer that question, because it, yeah, it's, it's very difficult to think about what is the stepwise yeah. capacity uh, increase based on, 
uh, maybe another way to look at it. So for every dollar of revenue, a typical SaaS, um, let's call it B to B to B small business uh, sales. Um, what is that percentage of revenue that is usually allocated towards customer success, either RMR or ARR? Like, what, what are you seeing out there? I'm just curious as I build these things out. I am not seeing, I'm just to be completely honest, I don't see that like this is a percentage of, of that. I apologize for not having that off the top of my head. Um, it, it definitely does get factored in, um, but when I'm getting brought in, it's more on sort of like a PL level of how much it takes to run this group. And, um, and then judging from there, like their activities that they're doing to be able to get a customer launched and live. And so I'm sort of able to, you know, via things like tracking time and things like that, I'm able to see like, okay, to service this customer, it's about, you know, 5% or 10% or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because customer success is, it's not cheap. Uh, people view it as a cost center. Uh, mm-hmm. But before you jumped on Jeff, you know, I, I sort of preached a little bit here that customer success is actually can pay for itself. Uh, both through customer retention, uh, extending the lifetime value of a customer, uh, but it does increase that customer acquisition cost. So there has to be a balance there. But on the flip side, I also think that customer success can be a great source of upselling customers, okay? Upgrading and increasing revenue. I I agree with you on all of that. I, I typically try and get organizations to not have it be so much of a cost center. And if you factor in the cost of implementation into, so this is where I get into the PL conversation, right? Like Jeff, here's there's a $2 million PL. We have to make sure that you know the cost, you know, you're you've got $2 million to spend on resources fully loaded. Um, I'm like, okay, that's great. Uh, are you charging for your implementation? And this is the classic thing that startups do not do. Like, no, we just want your business and, and things <laughs> like that. Um, and even if you're not, I mean, you shouldn't even be charging like 5,000. Now, obviously, if you're selling something for 199 a month, but they're not really in that conversation that we're having. That's a more coin-operated thing. So, um, so what I say is like, we should, if your ARR on a customer, if your average is like, let's just say 50 to 75K, right? You should be charging them at least 10K implementation fee. Right. And so if you're closing, um, you know, round numbers or whatever, 50 to 100 deals, maybe closer to on the 50 side one for startups, and then you're trying to go 100, and then everybody's trying to go 2x, 2x, 2x after that. Um, well, if you're at 100 customers a year and you were charging them 10K for their implementation, like problem solved, right? It's not as much as a cost center, you're right. charging them for implementation. And then you start getting into like what I've seen is that. You've got your, you know, always try and drive them to the middle. So you've got your 10, your 15, and your 30, or your 10, 20, and 45. And everybody will like, oh, let's take that 20. And then you list out the benefits of, of this particular package because you want to guarantee success. And if you are starting to sell up into more um, mid-market and enterprise customers, they would expect that. And they're going to devalue your service if you give it away for free. Oh, yeah, no, I'm with you. So we usually charge anywhere between one month to three months RMR, right? So in other words, 10 to 12, 10 to 15% ARR for that onboarding experience. Um, and, and it's just not like cleaning up the sins of the past, but it's really setting up the groundwork, the foundation for a 
long-term successful relationship. Otherwise, it doesn't feel good to lose money, right? So, that's the thing. It's like if people will even say it feels like a cost center. It's like, okay, well, how much does it hurt to lose that 250K ARR deal? Like that probably hurt right. a lot where if you could have had somebody in there at a 100K salary that services three or four of those types of customers, it kind of makes a lot of sense. So. Yeah, well, it goes back to that customer experience. Cool, this has been, this has been a lot of fun. Um, Jeff, if, uh, if, if people want to get in contact with you, where, where do they find you? Yeah, um, I, you know, I think <laughs> the difficulty in my last name, but well, you can find Jeff Kushmarek on LinkedIn. Um, website is Jeff and K U S H M E R E K dot com. And uh, reach out, you know, book a time. If you got any quick questions, happy to get on the phone and, and answer anything on that. So, yeah. Cool. We'll include your contact details and a uh, little bio on who you are. And uh, I'm sure folks will find you on LinkedIn. No, this was great. This was something that we're actually experiencing. And it's, uh, we hit that inflection point 10 months ago, uh, last September, when that one customer out of nowhere just said, dealing with growth lab is like, it's like a black hole. And I was like, how's that possible? We only have 25 people here. How's that possible? And they're like, oh yeah, okay, I, I can see it. <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite quotes was, as we're, as we're doing this, we're like, okay, we're rolling out customer success. We're gonna put, put this guy in the role of customer success manager. And uh, so one of our internal people were like, isn't the complaint that there's too many people to talk to and you're adding a person to the equation? <laughs> yes, it makes total sense. <laughs> that one person where it's like, yeah, I go to this person, right? Or I, you know, and, you know, and, and go from there. And, uh, and as a, you know, some of the, the best people to hire for these roles, they're very empathetic. Yes. Know, I like to say they're like uh, middle sisters, uh, but like, you know, they just, they want to help. Like they're going to go open up the window for for you if it's more, if it's cold or, something, or hot, but like, so if you've got that one person and they're empathetic and you're like, Hey, where do I get this? Like, they're going to drop everything and they're going to go find that for you. And that's, that's, what's going to help. And that comment about the black hole, like I, I will say everybody has those things and, and it's part of the growth. It's like, hey, congratulations. You're now successful in selling your <laughs> Now let's work on the next piece, which is servicing these people and keeping them around. So, yeah, it's been a cool. pleasure. Thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. It's been a blast. Yeah, totally. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Bye. Cheers, man. Okay. So that's a wrap, Steve. Cool. Join us next week. Check us out at growthlabfinancial.com or text Take to 833-759-0277.